Hey folks, I'm attorney Andrew Branca here from Law of Self-Defense, and we recently announced one of our once every couple of years live online Law of Self-Defense advanced classes coming up soon and filling up fast, and we're getting swamped with questions about what the class covers. So rather than continuing to answer the same questions many dozens of times as each inquiry comes in, I've decided to put together this video describing the Law of Self-Defense advanced class so we have a place we can point people to for more information. In a nutshell, the Law of Self-Defense advanced class is for you if you'd like to gain a mastery of self-defense law in a single day. If that's of interest, make yourself comfortable and I'll explain how the advanced class works to help you make the decision to grab one of the few seats remaining for the upcoming advanced class taught live by me and streamed live to your computer using Zoom. It's also important to know that this upcoming advanced class is applicable to all 50 states, so no matter where you live, you're covered. I want to emphasize that we only do these full-day advanced classes every couple of years, so be aware that if you skip this opportunity, it'll be quite a while before the advanced class is offered again. Now, if at any time in the video here you've decided you've learned enough to want to grab one of the rapidly diminishing number of seats, you can do that at any time by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. What I'll do here is step you through the amazing scope of content we'll cover in the course of the advanced class and the more than 100 very specific self-defense law questions we'll answer in the course of that class, all taught in plain English, no legalese. First, I'd like to share our advanced class mission statement, which is to provide the law self-defense community with actionable understanding of self-defense law in order to enable better informed, more confident, more lawful decisions in defense of yourself, your family, and your property, so that you're well positioned to win both the physical fight and the legal fight. As we say here at Law Self-Defense, be hard to kill and be hard to convict. Our advanced class is a full day course of instruction. Again, all in plain English, no legalese, made up of eight distinct learning blocks, all of which collectively answer more than a hundred self-defense law questions to which you probably don't currently have the correct answer. I'll step through those learning blocks and the questions they answer in detail in just a moment, but first a quick overview of those eight learning blocks. The first block number one, is why and how the legal system prosecutes self-defense cases, how the machine actually works. In block two, we'll cover the five elements of any self-defense claim. In block three, we look at defense of others and defense of property. In block four, we look at consciousness of guilt, conduct, and evidence, as well as self-defense immunity. In block five, we consider interacting with the police in the aftermath of a use of force event. And folks, we spend nearly an entire hour on this interacting with police module alone. In block six, we consider crafting a legally sound self-defense strategy. In block seven, we have an introspective block where we ask under what circumstances would you be prepared to use deadly force in self-defense because you need to decide that before you find yourself in the fight. And in block eight, the final block, we'll have an open Q&A session to address any questions or clarifications that have not been covered earlier in the course. Now, note that because of our commitment to allow live Q&A during this online course, we necessarily have to tightly limit the number of students in the class, meaning there are very limited number of seats available. Now, if that list of the eight learning blocks already has you convinced to join us for the class, that's awesome. And again, you can do that by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced.
And remember, we only teach this advanced class every couple of years. And when the seats are gone for this upcoming class, they're gone until the next class rolls around in maybe two years. Ask yourself, can you afford that kind of delay in knowing the actual law of self-defense? Do you know when you'll need this knowledge in defending yourself, your family, or your property? Knowing that if you step over the legal boundaries, even with the best of intentions, it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal expenses and perhaps decades of your life in prison? You and I both know the answer to that question is that you cannot afford to take that chance, that you need to have the self-defense law knowledge already in your possession before that criminal attack happens. And remember, you don't get to choose the time, place, and manner of when you are attacked. The bad guy does that. And I expect he'd much prefer a target that is waiting for some distant future advanced class opportunity than he would a graduate of that law self-defense advanced class. Remember, again, be hard to kill, be hard to convict. So I urge you not to delay. Sign up for our upcoming advanced class right now. Grab one of the few remaining seats before they're all gone at lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. That said, if you're still undecided, that's fine too, because I have a lot more detail on this class to share with you. Let's step through each of the learning blocks and the very specific self-defense law questions they answer in a bit more detail. So learning block one, why and how the legal system prosecutes self-defense cases. In this learning block, we'll explain how the legal system handles and makes legal decisions about a claim of self-defense, because if you don't understand that, you can't possibly understand what's likely to happen to you if you find yourself fed into that enormously costly and destructive criminal justice system. Nor can you understand how to make the smart tactical and legal decisions that minimize your legal liability to as close to zero as possible. In this learning block, we'll answer questions like, why am I, Andrew Branca, uniquely qualified to teach you self-defense law? Why are defenders so often charged with murder, manslaughter, and other felonies? Why is it that a defender either qualifies 100% for self-defense or 0%? Why is so much self-defense law information out there really just training people to get convicted? Why can't a good lawyer save a bad case of self-defense? Why are people who act in good faith, self-defense, nevertheless convicted and imprisoned? What does it mean to say that self-defense is an affirmative defense? Why is the fact that prosecutors love to win actually good for our self-defense case? Who has to prove or disprove what in a self-defense case to get an acquittal or conviction? Next in learning block two, we'll move on to the five elements of self-defense law. In this learning block, we'll introduce you to the five elements of any self-defense claim, innocence, imminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness, and dive into each of those elements in detail, explaining how they work and where there's variance among the 50 states. Let's look at each of those in turn and the specific questions we'll answer with respect to each element. The element of innocence. How does self-defense law define what qualifies as innocence? How do defenders too often lose innocence and therefore lose self-defense? What is an initial aggressor, a provoker with intent? How do they differ? What is mutual combat? And what is its impact on self-defense? How can a defender who has lost innocence regain that innocence and regain self-defense? What happens if you start a non-deadly force fight, but the other person escalates the deadly force? 
Next, the element of imminence. How does the law define whether a threat is an imminent threat? How do defenders too often lose the element of imminence and therefore lose self-defense? What is the AOJ triad? Why is it so valuable in identifying and explaining imminence? And what are its important limitations? How does imminence differ in the context of impact weapons versus a gun? How do obstacles and distance affect the element of imminence? What is the tooler drill and how is it widely misunderstood in the self-defense community? When is a defensive display of a firearm more or less legally defensible? Can a verbal threat alone constitute an imminent threat that justifies force in self-defense? Next, the third element, proportionality. How does the law define proportionality? How do defenders too often lose the element of proportionality and therefore lose self-defense? How does the law distinguish non-deadly versus deadly force in the context of proportionality? Why can a force not capable of causing death nevertheless qualify as deadly force? How does proportionality work differently in the context of non-deadly versus deadly force? What induces law-abiding defenders to use excessive force and lose proportionality? What is the legal as well as tactical importance of having a diversified self-defense toolbox? Next, the fourth element, avoidance. How does the law define avoidance? How do defenders too often lose the element of avoidance and therefore lose self-defense? Is stand your ground an alternative legal defense to self-defense? How does it actually work? Which states impose a legal duty to retreat and which do not? What's the difference between hard stand your ground and soft stand your ground? Which stand your ground states are hard stand your ground states and which are soft stand your ground states? How can retreat be required by law even in a stand your ground state? What are the conditions often required in order to qualify for stand your ground privileges? What is the single universal exception to any otherwise existing legal duty to retreat? Why is the Castle Doctrine far more limited than most in the self-defense community think? And the fifth and final element of self-defense is reasonableness. How does the law define reasonableness? What is required to be reasonable? Your perceptions, your decisions, your actions in self-defense. How do defenders too often lose reasonableness and therefore lose self-defense? What's the difference between subjective reasonableness and objective reasonableness? What is the effect on self-defense of lacking subjective reasonableness? How is the jury told to evaluate your subjective reasonableness without being able to read your mind? What is the effect on self-defense of lacking objective reasonableness? To what extent is objective reasonableness customized for the circumstances of the fight, the capabilities or disabilities of the defender, the specialized training or knowledge of the defender, and the normal fear of being in a life-threatening fight? How does the defender prove their specialized training or knowledge made their conduct and self-defense reasonable and therefore lawful? So those are the five elements of self-defense we cover in learning block two. In learning block three, we talk about defense of others and defense of property. Here we'll introduce you to the legal principles and practical realities of defending other people, your family, your friends, even strangers, and in different contexts, such as a one-on-one -on -one fight versus an active shooter scenario. We'll also cover the legal principles and practical realities of defending property, both personal property and highly defensible property, such as your home. In the context of defense of others, some of the specific questions we'll answer include, how does defense of others differ from defense of self? How do defenders too often lose the legal fight in a defense of others scenario? What is the alter ego doctrine of defense of others? And what are its risks? How does defense of others differ if you're defending your family versus a friend versus a stranger? 
What are the unique legal dangers and physical dangers in defending strangers? How does defense of a single stranger differ from defense against an active shooter? Is defending a stranger worth the legal risks? And how do you make that informed decision? In the context of defensive property, here are some of the very specific questions we'll answer. How does defensive property differ from defensive persons? How do defenders too often lose in defensive property cases? When can deadly force be used in defensive property? How does defense of personal property differ from defense of highly defensible property? What qualifies as highly defensible property? Does your home, your business, your vehicle, your pets... How does defense of an unoccupied vehicle differ from defense of an occupied vehicle? Why are special provisions made for defense of highly defensible property that are not made for defense of personal property? What is a legal presumption of reasonableness and what does it do for your legal defense? What are the typical conditions for qualifying for a legal presumption of reasonableness? What are the typical exclusions for qualifying for a legal presumption of reasonableness? Why is a forcible entry a common condition for a legal presumption of reasonableness? What's the legal difference between a genuine intruder and an unintentional intruder? How do your self-defense options differ between a genuine intruder and an unintentional intruder in your home? Then in learning block four, we'll look at consciousness of guilt, conduct and evidence and self-defense immunity. In this learning block, we'll introduce you to the legal doctrine of consciousness of guilt and the vital importance of not engaging in consciousness of guilt conduct. Conduct that's unfortunately advised frequently in the self-defense community. We'll also cover the legal doctrine of self-defense immunity, how immunity works, how to qualify for immunity and what its limitations are. Some of the questions we'll answer in the context of consciousness of guilt include, well, what is consciousness of guilt evidence? What is a consciousness of guilt jury instruction? What are the consequences of consciousness of guilt conduct for a claim of self-defense? How can consciousness of guilt conduct turn what would have been lawful self-defense into manslaughter? In the context of self-defense immunity, we'll answer what is self-defense immunity? What are the legal benefits for the defender? Is self-defense immunity the same thing as stand your ground or something different? Is self-defense immunity an alternative form of self-defense? What are the common conditions that have to be met to qualify for self-defense immunity? What are the common exclusions that lose you self-defense immunity? How is self-defense immunity sought and obtained? Then we'll turn to learning block five, interacting with the police in the aftermath of a use of force event. And in this nearly hour long learning block, we'll take a deep dive into that interaction with the police, including distinguishing between the distinct types of interaction to expect, learning when to assert your rights, what rights to assert, and how to assert those rights effectively. Some of the questions we'll answer in this learning block include, what are the advantages and disadvantages? of the say-nothing-to-the-police approach. Can your silence ever be used against you in court? You'll be surprised by this one. What is the say-little approach to interacting with the police? What are its advantages and disadvantages? What are the three distinct types of police interactions after a use-of-force event? What should you do differently for each distinct type of police interaction? Should you request medical attention from first responders, even if you think you're not hurt? At what point do you assert your rights? Which rights? How do you assert them? Should you demand to press charges against your attacker while you're at the scene? What can you say or do to minimize the chances of getting arrested? At what point are you likely to be subjected to interrogation and what should you do at that point? 
Then we'll proceed to learning block six, crafting a legally sound self-defense strategy. In this learning block, we bring together all the learning of the previous learning blocks and guide you in understanding how to craft a personalized, legally sound self-defense strategy for you that makes you both harder to kill and harder to convict. Here we'll answer questions like, who chooses the time, place, and manner of attack? What pre-fight decisions are within the defender's control? If I modify my gun, can that be used against me in court? What is the tactical and legal difference between avoidance on the one hand and retreat or de-escalation on the other? What is the rule of the three stupids? Does being armed broaden or narrow when you ought to engage in a confrontation? What are the specific tactical and legal benefits of retreat, even in a stand-your-ground state? Do we tend to make better decisions or worse decisions under stress, and why? What is cognitive conditioning, and how does it foster better tactical and legal decision-making? What is legal dry-firing? What are the specific tactical and legal benefits of verbal self-defense? What is the danger zone of ambiguity, and why does it matter to self-defense? Then we'll move on to learning block seven, was it worth it? In this learning block, we take an introspective look at the balance between the imperative to protect ourselves and our families from criminal predation on the one hand and the prospective value of defense of others and property on the other hand and the serious threats that any use of force, however lawful, raises to our financial and personal freedom. Each of us will need to determine for ourselves precisely where that balance falls, and here we simply attempt to help you make an informed decision there. Specific questions we answer in this learning block include, what does it cost to fight a prosecution in the case of self-defense? What are the possible criminal consequences if you lose a self-defense case? When is it possible to reduce the risk of losing the legal fight close to zero? Why is it mistaken to think that your lawyer has the benefit of jury selection? Under what circumstances would a 20-year prison sentence be worth having pressed that trigger? Whose responsibility is it to defend strangers? How does defense of a single stranger differ from an active shooter scenario? What are the dangers of an active shooter scenario above and beyond those of self-defense? What risks and costs are you prepared to incur in order to protect personal property. When should you think through these vitally important issues? Will thinking through these issues allow for more decisive defense of yourself and your family? And does a more decisive defense within the legal boundaries foster your ability to win both the physical and the legal fight? And finally, we proceed to learning block eight, which is an open Q&A session. So we do a brief Q&A session after each of the prior learning blocks specific to the content of each learning block. But in this final block eight, we set aside as much as a full hour for an open Q&A session in which we answer any remaining questions that have not already been addressed previously in the course to make sure every student learned what they came to learn. And that, folks, is that. It's truly an unbelievable amount of self-defense expertise and education taught live by me, straight from my brain to yours, streamed to your computer or your laptop or your tablet in the convenience and safety of your home, with plenty of opportunity for Q&A and clarification all in a single day's course. I can tell you that this one-day law self-defense advanced course, you will learn vastly more self-defense law than lawyers are typically taught in three years of law school, and you'll be receiving that expertise in plain English, not legalese. Again, you can secure one of the few remaining seats right now at lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. 
Now, if you're wondering if there's a catch, well, there is kind of, and that is that seating is extremely limited for this popular course. And we only teach the class every couple of years. When these seats are gone for the upcoming class, they're gone. Again, can you afford to delay knowing the actual law of self-defense? Can you know when you'll need that knowledge in defending yourself or your family or your property, knowing that if you step over the legal boundaries, even a hair, even with the best of intentions, it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars or perhaps decades in prison. You and I both know the answer to that question is that you cannot afford to delay that you need to already have this self-defense law knowledge in your possession before that criminal attack happens. So I urge you, please don't delay. Sign up for our upcoming Law Self-Defense Advanced class now at lawselfdefense.com slash advanced. I look forward to seeing a bunch of you in that class very soon. Until then, I remain attorney Andrew Branker for Law Self-Defense. Stay safe.